Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the program this week, can the Silver Ferns add the World Netball Championship crown to their Commonwealth Games gold medal? The veteran New Zealand cyclist Julian Dean embarks on his seventh Tour de France with his professional cycling career on the line. While Aucklander Ron Skelton tells us just what made him ride 5,000 kilometres across America. Stephen Brett says sayonara to his Rugby World Cup hopes. And Dan Vittori explains why he wants to be cricket's next capital dev. The Silver Ferns begin their bid to be both World and Commonwealth Games champions when they play Fiji in the World Championship opener in Singapore on Monday night. Despite winning the Commonwealth Games gold medal in Delhi last year, the recent drawn series against Australia, while providing an all-important build-up to the tournament, failed to inspire confidence. Australia won the first test and New Zealand the second, but only after Australia ran an effective second-string lineup. Murray Williams spoke to Netball New Zealand's high-performance manager Tracy Fair, who's in Singapore with the side, as to how they're going to rectify that. That's a really fair comment, and and it's not unusual for us. I, I think we have always felt that Australia's uh, debt, um, both as a country, as a nation, as well as uh, in their national team, is, is a lot lot longer than ours. Um, and, I, you know, it is a challenge for, for us from a netball development perspective as well as for, for the firms to uh, make sure that, you know, that, that saying of a team of 12 rings true and, you know, the coaches have been working on, uh, you know, making sure that uh, all players in, in the group are tracking along pretty well. So, yeah, I think it's just exposing the different combinations to challenges and experiences to, to grow that depth. You had a pretty intense couple of days in, in Auckland last week. How much difference can that and the, the few weeks between the, the Australia series make in the context of a world championship? Oh, we think it, it, it would be quite a significant difference because, uh, you know, the, those two tests against Australia, both countries were really testing each other out. They were testing a few different combinations and seeing how they went. And then both countries now regroup from that, that debrief that series where do we go well, where where are our gaps, and then the time between that series and the world champs has been critical for, for I guess, addressing where we've, we've, uh, we feel our, our gaps are and developing our strengths, growing our strengths. History's pretty much on their side, isn't it? Twelve World Cups, I think they're eight or nine, and you lost here in 07, but you won in the West Indies, so presumably there's that away record would give you some cause for hope. Yeah, and I'm not a great one for histories of world championships. I'd like to instead go forward with confidence in that we've won three out of the last four pinnacle events against Australia, and that, I think, gives us great heart. Just remember Delhi. (laughs) Delhi, Melbourne, and the 2003 world champs. And they've got 2007. So, yeah, we're going for... 
four out of five. Yeah, and Ruth's set to take over from uh, Lois Muir as the most capped or the, the the most capped coach, I guess. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I, look, Lois, Dame Lois, I should say. Uh, what an amazing record she's had, and you know, I had the pleasure to to play uh, for Lois and uh, for Ruth. You know, she uh, it has been the most um, amazing decade, really, for New Zealand netball, uh, and Ruth has been a huge part of, um, yeah, I think the best decade in New Zealand netball's history and, and she's led that and I think um, it's a, a wonderful uh, record to break. That's Netball New Zealand's high performance manager Tracy Fear talking to Murray Williams. The New Zealand cyclist Julian Dean will line up in his seventh Tour de France on Sunday morning knowing his professional future is on the line. Dean will again be the lead-out rider for his Garmin Cervelo team. The 36-year-old comes off contract with the US-based team at the end of the season and he knows a strong performance is crucial. But he told Barry Guy that he never took for granted that he'd earn a ride in this year's race. Nice to be included, um, you know, but, you know, professional sport, it changes all the time and, you know, although I had a, a great Tour de France last year and, you know, you never be expected to be included uh, the following year because really you're only as good as your, as, your, as your last performance, and certainly my season to date hasn't been uh, you know, much to speak of. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember reading somewhere you had some uh, issues. Uh, was it a crash and then, and, and then a few other things? Uh, what got you through, do you think, some, uh, your experience? Yeah, you know, I still, I mean, I, I've been work, working hard, and um, you know, I tried to, um, you know, in the last months leading up to the Tour de France, um, try and prepare myself as best I could under the circumstance and you know, I think I've I caught the train just in time and, and pulled a couple of pre good performances out in the weeks before the tour. Um and the team then have uh, enough faith and saw that that they really um needed me and the team to help help out in the sprint stages as I've done in the past. Thirty six, is it getting harder to get yourself up or do you still feel like a spring chicken? No, I certainly don't feel like a spring chicken, you know, some things have uh some things are definitely harder. Um and uh you know, it's it's uh you know, you, when you have the difficult moments, the crashes and things like that, it takes a little bit longer to come back from. I certainly even don't notice that. Um but, you know, I think uh you know, it all starts to balance out as we get further into the race. Um, you know, being a little bit older, you know, ball does tend to have its payoffs. A three-week tour like this, there are plenty of opportunities for sprinting, which is your forte to, to lead out in that. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the tour this year? Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities uh, for sprinters this year. Um, you know, um, we've got a you know two top sprinters in the team this year. The team's you know got quite a new, um, quite a different outlook compared to other years. So, um, you know, there probably believe won't be too many opportunities personally for myself but you know we do have a good strong team and you know I think we're going to be able to probably do some some good things in some of the stages. Last year was it when you made the podium that was perhaps uh, you know your best chance? Yeah I mean you know things just sort of um, fell into place last year and obviously I'd I'd come to the tour to work for Tyler Farrell my American teammate Um, you know he crashed out with a broken wrist and wasn't able to continue and left opportunities open uh, for me, and I was able to capitalise on those as well and, and get some, some quite handy results finishing uh, on the podium four times. So, 
Um, you know, but it was really a matter of circumstance that that kind of fell my way. So, um, you know, it might happen again this year, but, um, you know, chances are that probably will be, you know, everything goes well, we'll be going for title all the way to Paris. Is Alberto Contador the one to beat again? Yeah, and no, obviously a fantastic duo to tell you um, two months ago. Um, looked really phenomenal. Um, you know, and he has he's come to the Tour of France obviously to to win again. But um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how um, him riding the Giro d'Italia two months ago and winning that um, if he's taken the edge off him for the Tour of France. Do you have any thoughts on the fact that he still has to face an inquiry? That's all part of the process. Um, you know, it's a complicated process. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, I think everyone has faith in the system, and that you know, the end of the end of the of it all justice is whichever way it goes is, is going to be served. Do you still uh, have ambitions for, say, the Olympics next year? Yeah, definitely. That's um, you know all, all part of my program at, at this stage. Um, I'm at the end of contract this year, so I'll be looking to try and secure another contract and um, you know want to continue. Hopefully, all going well, do another Tour de France next year and the Games next year. Will a good performance here? Help obviously when trying to get a secure another contract. Yeah, definitely it, it should um, it should uh, help here. Um, you know, as long as you've, you've someone like myself is being is, is, is being a, a highly professional athlete of, of um, a good good character and a good work ethic, and you know as long as you, you do, do your job and you seem to be doing your job job well, there's always always a contract there for you. Are you still excited? You're just on the eve of uh, the Tour de France. There's an excitement, a uh, bit of trepidation. You know, it's a hard slog for three weeks, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, like, uh, um, you know, I haven't been 100% um, you know, sure as to whether I was going to be here at the start line, so still probably trying to come to grips with that um, a little bit, the fact that I'm actually here and I'm about to start the Tour de France again. Um, but, you know, once... Once you start to get an environment and the fans start to arrive and you see the people and and the momentum starting to build up towards the start, you know you really start to feel like you're you're truly part of some uh, something special. That's Julian Dean talking to Barry Guy. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. Now, it's not quite the Tour de France, but the 5,000-kilometre race across America is still one of the most gruelling cycle races in the world. And 51-year-old Auckland truck driver Ron Skelton's just completed it. Starting at Oceanside in California, Skelton arrived in Annapolis, Maryland, with just hours to spare before the deadline of 12 days to complete the event elapsed. 42 riders began the trek, which included riding across the furnace-like temperatures of the Sonoma Desert, the high altitude of the Rockies, the wind-swept plains of Kansas, and the steep climbs of the Appalachian Mountains. Skelton's a veteran of the Round Lake Toboard Challenge. He's also completed 24 New Zealand Ironman championships. And he told me just why he had to ride the race across America. I'd read about it approximately 25 years ago when I started looking into Ironman, when that event is now its 30th anniversary that I've just completed. And it had never been a bucket list thing, but it was, I was interested by it. You know, America's a big place. Quite interesting, just that challenge of a non-stop ride across there as a race. And um, last year, sort of by default, I was in the Lake Taupo Cycle Challenge in the eight-lap uh, Extreme Enduro, 
and I completed that and found out that it was a RAM qualifier. So I was qualified to enter the race across America, the RAM, and uh, but was now or never I've qualified. So um, I'll um, you know just get off my backside and set things in motion and uh, set about doing it. How, how how did you cope with it all? Did you start to get? I mean. Because you've you've got to ride some pretty long hours to to keep within the I suppose the qualifying time, don't you? That is right. Like essentially, you've got twelve days to ride the three thousand miles. Essentially, you've got to ride two hundred and fifty miles a day. Um, that's achievable, but some of the conditions are quite demanding. So some days you may drop just below the average, and other days you're holding above it. I was getting a good two to two and a half hours rest a day. I'd sort of break with sleep patterns up. And I'd get one good... The first day, I essentially only had a 20-minute nap in the first 24 hours. But then after that, I'd start sleeping uh, for an hour and a half at a time to get a good deep deep cycle sleep and then have a couple of power naps as well every day. And that was enough to keep me going. Do you start to get delusional? Not not, not true hallucinations, but more optical illusions. Actually, driving at night, you look at something and... It may not be what you think it is. You perceive it differently, and you get up close. You go, "Oh no, it was just a gate or a gate post, not a you know, not a house or the side of a vehicle, that sort of thing." So I wasn't truly seeing things that weren't there, but the perception was getting a bit twisted at, at times. That's just gen- general fatigue on eyes and that sort of thing. It's a long time to be awake and concentrating. What was the weirdest thing you started thinking? On some of the, lo- the roads, there sort of uh, repairs to the surface repairs um, ended up being like a very snaking line. And uh, that was sort of taking on different appearances. Sometimes it looked like it was words or, or uh, the side profile of cartoon faces and that sort of thing as I went by. And that would alter with the, at the speed that I was going at, things like that. But um, a few times the, the road surface would appear to be deeper ruts and I was, I was swerving to avoid what were essentially only just small uh, undulations or small uh, potholes in the road. They looked quite big. Again, it's, a lot of that's just perception. Like I wasn't seeing things that totally weren't there. Was there any stage you thought you might not get through it? No, no, I was pretty confident the whole time that I was, I was riding within the, the cutoffs. Uh, early on, I was, uh, my strategy was to take it very easy, and the officials expressed that I may, a concern that I may not make the first cutoff. But like I said to them, I said, crikey, it, you know, it, it's only 250 miles away, and I've got over 24 hours to do that, and that's hardly a challenge, you know. So I didn't, had no dramas making the cutoffs at any time. So, so was it tougher than you anticipated, or about what you'd thought it might be? About what I thought it would be. Um, I mean, in some respects, I was quite lucky with the weather. Didn't have any, uh, what you call, exceptionally adverse weather. Uh, it was very hot in the desert, but that's to be expected. Didn't get any horrendous headwinds. In general, I had a good, good tailwind, but that's the norm for the season. Got to one hailstorm through Kansas, and then after that, the weather cleared up, and I got literally got blown across Kansas. I think I did... Uh, nearly 350 miles that day. Had it been more adverse weather, I would have had to have slept less and ridden harder to have achieved the goal. I suppose you've seen a lot, but not seen a lot of America now, haven't you? I've never travelled um, much, and I've certainly never travelled to America before. So um, that was quite a boost in some respects. Every Everything I saw, every sunrise, every sunset, was over a different part of the world that I'd never seen. Um, seeing all sorts of different, you know, the terrain, the animals, the vegetation, uh, constantly changing. You know, I sort of a couple of times had to swerve to avoid a coyote on the side of the road. Um, the roadkill over there is quite amazing in size. When an elk's been hit by a, a vehicle, there's 
there's bits of elk all over the road that can sort of wipe you out. But easily only had, had to swerve to avoid a head and shoulders of an elk in the middle of the night that had been decapitated by a vehicle. Um, had coyotes roaming on the side of the road. I sort of had a little uh, race across America checklist that I was, I was ticking off, you know. I sort of saw uh, armadillos, foxes, heaps of deer. The deer probably gave me the closest call several times. Um, it was pretty close a couple of times with the deer. They get a bit startled by you going by. You'd sneak up on them on the bike, you know, uh, you're quite quiet, especially on the descent, and then you'd be flying along at, um, you know, uh, probably 60 kilometres per hour uh, in the middle of the night. You've got your car behind you lighting the road up at a, at a safe distance behind you, but the uh, the deer uh, don't hear the bike approaching and get a fright and jump out. So it was quite quite amusing at times. Not not the norm for New Zealand riding. You get the odd possum and rabbit on the road, and that's about your lot. What about saddle soreness and uh, other physical ailments? How did you, you cope with those? Um, saddle soreness, yeah, I got a bit of, bit of chafing, but I had uh, all the ointment and stuff to put on it. So not a problem, you know. Um, it's just the norm for that that sort of cycling. Um, had no major physical problems. The neck held up fine. Neck and shoulders were fine. Hands and feet, the extremities just a little bit numb, but that again is just basically just the norm for a, uh, a long ride like that. So what's next? I'm honestly not sure. Um, I'm obviously on the calendar for uh, the short term is the November. I'll be doing the eight-lap Extreme Enduro and Taupo again. Bit of a doddle now, uh, isn't it? Well, yeah, <laughs> I would never call it a doddle, but yeah, I mean, I'm certainly well prepared for that. And I'll be doing the Ironman again in March. I've already confirmed my entry in that. Uh, as for Race Across America... Um, I'd certainly do it again. The only proviso on that is um, essentially um, myself and the partner self-funded this whole thing. If I got significant sponsorship, I'd jump at the chance. I was talking to Ron Skelton. Now, Austrian Christoph Strasser was the first to finish the race in eight days, eight hours and six minutes, with Skelton completing the trek in 11 days, 13 hours and 37 minutes. Wellingtonian Josh Kinch also completed the journey. He took 10 days, 5 hours, 27 minutes. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. The exodus of leading New Zealand rugby players continued this week with Blues first five, Stephen Brett, the latest to quit the Auckland-based Super Rugby franchise. Brett, who's also played for the Crusaders, the Junior All Blacks and the New Zealand Māori, is heading to Japan on a two-year contract with the Toyota Verblitz Club. He intends returning here when he'll eat 27. Brett says All Black First Five Dan Carter's decision to remain in New Zealand was a contributing factor in his decision, which effectively rules him out of this year's World Cup. He told Murray Williams why he opted for Japan and not Europe. Obviously, 16 games a year compared to 32, 33 games a year is a big difference. And the contract that I got offered was was pretty good as well. So, and also uh, my knee got a bit of a bad knee. So hopefully, lesser games will uh, you know help my knee out a bit. What's the timing? Is it a three-year deal or? It's a two-year deal. So could you see yourself coming back? Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously I'm only 25 years old, and you know, obviously be over there till I'm 27, and then obviously I'll just weigh up my options then. Uh, there's definitely the option of coming back, and but we'll just have to wait and see, and you know, go over there, do my two years, and then just see after that. Who have you talked to who've played in Japan, and what have they told you about what to expect there in terms of apart from the fact that you won't be one of the smallest guys around on the field? Yeah, obviously the, I've got uh, Hayden Hopgood at my club, uh, Stephen Yates, the both. Canary boys, so I've talked to them quite a bit. They just said it's going to be a bit of a frustrating year. The first year is always frustrating, apparently. So I'm just I'm re- all ready for that, and you know, it's just a matter of getting over there, setting myself up, and uh, just trying to get into some into some rugby.
weekend and enjoy my new teammates. And you had any experience of Japan before? Have you been there to visit or is this for your first time? I was over there for the juniors in 2007 when we played in the Pacific Nations Cup over there. Uh, also been there, I was over there in November checking out the clubs as well. So, you know, I've had a couple of times over there. So, just And I enjoy Japanese, you know, I did Japanese at school for four years. So, and that was, that was another part of the reason why I've been over there. So how good is the, the language and how do you think you'll uh, function when you get over there? Uh, obviously, I've still got a lot to work on. But, you know, hopefully uh, in two years' time, you know, I'll come back fluent in Japanese. So I've got, a, I've got a little bit of background, and it's just a matter of uh, trying to recollect all that information and uh, trying to spit it back out again. So way way back then you were thinking you might be going to Japan to play rugby, or was there some other reason? Nah, definitely not. You know, obviously uh, it was just uh, we had to pick a language back at school, and, you know, I decided to pick, speak, uh, speak Japanese instead of French. That's Departing Blues' first five, Stephen Brett, talking to Murray Williams. The merry-go-round of New Zealand cricket contracts was announced this week with almost half the country's leading cricketers dumped by the national body. Seven of the previously centrally contracted players on the list of 20 have been left out. Among them all-rounders James Franklin and opening batsman Tim McIntosh. The former Black Caps captain Dan Vittori is still there despite recently announcing a break from the shorter forms of the game to try and extend his career through to the 2015 World Cup which will be co-hosted by New Zealand. Vittori, who's 32, will continue to play test matches and turn out for Bangalore in the Indian Premier League 2020 competition, though. He told Richard Wayne it's all about a balancing act. It is tough, particularly how much cricket is played these days. Um, if you're playing all three forms of the game, then you're pretty much committed to 10 months uh, non-stop cricket, and, and it makes it difficult. And the fact that I've played for 15 seasons prior to this um, uh, puts a little bit of toll on your body, but... Um, I just think of it as a, hopefully a bit of a freshen up period. I get to spend a bit more time with my family, uh, which is important with two young kids, and, and, and hopefully be back for New Zealand in the limited overs form at some stage. Is there too much cricket full stop, though? I mean, professionals like yourself perhaps have to prioritise, and the likes of the IPL will obviously win out uh, over you know, perhaps the international form of the, say, T20. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one because... You can say there's too much cricket, but then I think we all, when given opportunities to play in the IPL, do take it because the remuneration is is very good. So I, I don't I don't I don't want to sit here and say that there's too much cricket um, because we all have those chances for breaks. It's just managing them as best we can. I guess also, um, you know, even though you've been playing for, like you say, a decade and a half here at, at a top level, uh, a, a cricketer's career is it's not a lifetime opportunity. You you do have to um, manage yourself through it. Yeah, try to. And my ultimate goal is to play in that World Cup in 2015 in New Zealand. I think that would be something pretty special to play in, play in front of your home crowd at a World Cup. So this is my way of trying to make it there. And hopefully it's maybe a year or maybe a little bit longer that I'll take a break from one day in 2020 cricket and, and hopefully be able to fight my way back into the team. So you'll keep playing for Northern Districts in both uh, one day as anti-20s? No, I won't play one day as for ND. Um, obviously, I play first-class cricket, and I'm still weighing up whether to play um, domestic T20s. I just make the decision closer to the time. Now, you've got 105 tests and, and 345 test wickets. So is Richard Hadley's 431 dismissals for New Zealand a goal of yours, and is that achievable, do you think? Uh, to be fair, I, I don't think it's a goal. I think it's, it's definitely achievable. I think the way I've looked at it is I've always wanted to get 400 test wickets. They so go with 4,000. Test runs. That's Campbell Dev's the only other person to ever do that. Um, in terms of Hadley's record, I always think his career has been one of uh, sublime skill, and and I think mine will be more of uh, of longevity. Um, so I think that that record sits pretty well with him. But um, if I get close, there's there's no reason why I can't go past it.
And how about Stephen Fleming's record 111 tests for New Zealand? Is that also a goal? Yeah, well, that's, that's a lot easier than Sir, Sir Richard's one, so um, hopefully I'll be able to knock that off this summer. That's Dan Vittori talking to Richard Wayne. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. I'm Stephen Hewson for Radio New Zealand Sport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.